Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions. And those things that place a veil between you and us. I'm asking, Lord, that you call a spirit of obedience, Lord, over this ministry. I'm, I'm asking, Lord, that you call us into a greater faith, Lord, for we know that times are ramping up. We know that things are getting worse, Lord, and we know that you are calling for your people to do a mighty work in the last days. Lord, I pray for great boldness, Lord, over your people. I pray that we spend more time with you, that we may be more like you, that when we go out and do the righteous works, Lord, whether they become teaching, whether they be loving your neighbor, whether they be preaching the gospel, Lord, or whatever, Lord, we just pray that when people see us, they they see you. For Lord, we need to decrease so that you can increase. And I'm just asking that you pull on your people's heartstrings, Lord, that they may have a real grasp of what this is, what it is to not obey you, what it is the things that bother you, Lord. What are the things that keep us from going any further than we already are? So we just pray, Lord, that you magnify those things, that you expose them, that you show us exactly what your perfect will is, that we may not be wasting time nor laboring in vain. I pray for the brethren who couldn't be here today, Lord, for those who were uh, caught up, Lord, dealing with so much, you know, so many things the enemy is throwing at your people. And I just pray that they stay sober, that they stay focused on the goal. So we just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that no man's heart be heard tonight, that no flesh be glorified, but only you by your spirit that we might be edified, that we may teach others. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error or contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, or hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray that they get taken away from the midst, that your people, Lord, may have faith in you, that we may know by you, by your spirit, that others may know you also. So, Lord, we just pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, this has been a real interesting week because the Lord's been throwing the scriptures at me quite a bit. I mean, he's been pretty much throwing everything in my face concerning the word. And I think it's when the Lord comes at you that way, I think much of it has to do with, you know, disobedience. And I think in many cases, I know when I mentioned disobedience, people start thinking all kinds of stuff. Well, what does he really do behind the scenes? The Lord is even showing me in so many ways what the true definition of disobedience is. We got a teaching coming up that I meant to um, actually write down, so thank the Lord for it. But I was advised by Dick and Marge, this was maybe three years ago, to um, teach about what is sin, what is iniquity, and what is transgression. And I think that those things 
need to be understood because I think the one that catches God's people and puts them in a place where, you know, they don't even recognize that they're offending God is the word iniquity. You know, it's just something that we need to understand what iniquity is. Iniquity is a very nature that we have within that, you know, when your heart's not right towards God, it doesn't matter what you say with your mouth. You know, it's, it's who were you really if no one was around? Like, for example, if God had his law and he told us things that he wanted us to do, but, you know, if we have a feeling against God's word in any way, like, Lord, I sure wish that, you know, we didn't have to get married in order to have sex. That's iniquity. You see what I'm saying? Because the very act of wishing that God's word was different mm -hmm. is iniquity. Mm -hmm. Because we are, supposed, we are supposed to be lined up with him and in his ways. So, you know, it's just so interesting how we can get brought to that place. And I think what the Lord is showing me about myself is the iniquity within. Okay, so sin simply means to miss the mark. Transgression just means willful sin. Once you know, you decide to be a rebel. You know, and then there is um, iniquity, man, that is the most deceptive of all because you really got to check your heart. Is this after the will of God? Is this even something that God is pleased with? I know I'm pleased, but is he pleased? Exactly. So iniquity is probably one of the last things to really come out of a Christian because, you know, it's really something where your nature just has to be different. You know, you've got to truly be born again. You've got to have a love for the thing that the things that God loves and a hate for the things that God hates. And unless we can really get to that place, we will only go but so far. You know, we'll take God at his word for some things and not believe in the others. But um, tonight's going to be more of a refresher teaching. You know, it's going to be called um, Sound Doctrine is a Must. Sound Doctrine is a Must. Now, I know that we're all supposed to be studying to show ourselves approved unto the word of God and learning the things that God wants us to. And those things take time. When you teach, you're going to make mistakes. Things are going to be said. Things are going to happen that you were like, man, I should have dealt with that so differently. But one thing we cannot do is make excuses for God's word for anybody, including ourselves, and stray away from it, believing what we want to believe. It is important that we, we obey sound doctrine because outside of sound doctrine, you can get a lot of iniquity. There were so many things in this Bible I read in the Old Covenant and in the New, and I'm kind of thinking, man, God, like, I understand what you're saying, but, man, did it have to be like this? Absolutely. You know, but that's the thing that we've got to understand. If God says it, do not make excuses for it. Believe on his word. Because one thing sound doctrine does, and you know when it's sound, it transforms you. Yes. Mm -hmm. It brings you to the brink of knowing, is this right or is this wrong? Yep. And if it's right, then I must walk in it. So doctrine has to be sound. But if your doctrine has waves in it, you know, well, that applies in some cases, but not in all. What you're bringing is confusion, which eventually will bring forth perversion. Then before you know it, you're not believing the gospel at all. You know, all you become is a self-righteous person. So it's important that we truly understand that sound doctrine is a must. And there is no substitute for it. If God gave us that, and that's supposed to be the sword of the, the spirit that we're supposed to have, meaning his rhema word and his written word, then if we try to try and knock down the doctrine, then what we got is a butter knife. 
And it's important that we think about that. Your sword won't be as sharp because you don't even believe what you're preaching. So exactly. So in order for us to have that sharpness in God's word that it can affect others and ourselves, we've got to keep that knife sharpened. We've got to keep that sword sharpened. We've got to believe that God's word is real because that's the weapon after all we're going to wield. So if you don't even believe the weapon you're wielding, why are you even carrying it on your head? On your hip, you know? Yes, sir. Well, as the words, as the gospel says, that iron sharpens iron. So how is iron going to sharpen against the butter knife? Absolutely. And that's the whole thing. And one thing about the devil, I realize when, when you are really walking with God and you're doing the things that God says and you're drawing closer, the devil is real careful with the words that you speak and the things that you do. I realize that he doesn't attack you head on mm -hmm. in many cases. He'll sneak around the back way or try and come in through someone else. But when you're not in that place that you need to be, then you'll start finding opposition. People will come out bold to you and say things and do what. So the devil even knows when you're carrying the sword and when you're not. He knows the difference in these sort of things. So we don't give our adversary enough credit because if we did, we would follow the Lord and do what he says so we can, you know, wage an effective war against him. So let's go to Matthew 15. And let's begin at verse 1. But I'm telling you, iniquity is the thing that will really cause you to, to be on the outskirts with God. That change in nature. All right, so this is Matthew 15. Let's look at verse 1. And it says, Then came Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Uh, for God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. So what we understand even looking at here, and the Lord just actually said this to me, isn't it funny how when people would accuse Jesus in error, that he would always fire back to them, why are they like they are? This is important to understand, even about iniquity. I know that's not the subject for tonight, but what the point that I'm trying to make is when Jesus tells us something or God means for us to do something, you know, it's kind of like we ourselves have to be right. You ever notice when you go to preach the gospel to someone that the Lord almost holds a mirror in front of you showing you, well, you don't study either. So how are you going to tell somebody else to study? You don't pray. So how are you going to tell someone else to pray? But I noticed the moment they came at Jesus with this, he fired back. Then why do you even transgress um, with your tradition and things that you're doing? So you see, God wants us to truly be holy. Now, we're going to have flaws, but this is all a part of the process of improvement. But I noticed when people came at Jesus correct, Jesus came at them correct. Like when the woman says, remember when he says in Luke 15 that I don't, um, that, you know, the, what did he say? That the word of God is only for the Jews, not for the dogs. Mm -hmm. And the woman said, absolutely. Or like, even so, the dogs eat from the master's table. And what did Jesus say? Woman, how great is thou faith? You know, be it done unto you, whatever, because the woman recognized you're right. Aside from you, I'm a dog. 
And I know that. But should that stop me from seeking what's right and, and looking on you to have a job done in us? But that woman recognized her position and said, absolutely, you're right. And that's when he said, woman, how great is thy faith? But the funny thing about Jesus is, as you came to him, he dealt with you. When people said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lord is like, you know, see, that's faith because the person wants to improve. But when you got a self-righteous Pharisee talking about, oh, well, um, for me, you know, um, I pay my tithes, Lord. I do this. I do that. And I pray. But thank God that I'm not like this person over here. See, you're in the wrong place with God. So now he's got to check you. But that's one thing about God. When we come to him, he wants us to come correct. He doesn't want us asking amiss. He doesn't want us self-righteous. He doesn't want us religious. Be real with your heart. You know, Lord, this is where I am, but this is where I want to be. That's the only way God's going to work with people. Yep. But see, when they came at him with some stuff about what his disciples are doing, so whoa, don't get it twisted. This is a broken, filthy vessel actually accusing another. So let me explain to you about you so that you can understand me. I love Jesus. Verse 5. But say, but ye say, whosoever shall say to this father, to his father or his mother, it is a gift, by whatsoever uh, thou mightest be profited by me. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. So in other words, God's word, there's no substitute for it. You can't cancel out what's what and what. Your parents can be dead wrong in a situation concerning God. But, you know, that doesn't give you a right to disrespect them. You don't have to agree with them, but you can tell them outright, hey, you know what? Mom, dad, I understand, you know, whatever, how you feel, but I just disagree. But it doesn't give you a right to do that, to disrespect them, because now you break God's commandment on this side as well. Okay, I'm not saying agree when they're wrong, but one thing he did call them to do was honor. And when he meant that, he kept it. There was no substitute. Well, if they disrespect me, I'm going to disrespect them. No, then you're breaking what God called for us to do. So he's saying there's no... Um, there's no substitute for the truth. Look at seven. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their lips, and honoreth me with I mean with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. So here we go. This is one of those places where we really got to check ourselves and our hearts concerning God. I went into a few churches these past few weeks, and I mean, you know, I'm not one to judge people because I'm sure people can come up in here and see what I'm like, you know, with certain things. But I did notice that it taught me that what I need to understand is a heart after God, there's no substitute for. Right. There is no substitute for a heart, after, a heart after God. Because if you seek anything aside from God, and you give God what you think he wants instead of giving God what he asked for, then really you're laboring in vain. You're doing a bunch of things for absolutely no reason. I had um, friends of mine, I, I looked up even like a year ago about wedding rings. And this was like a year ago. I don't know why. I was like, man, is a wedding ring scriptural? You know, in, in, in any way at all. I remember that and I just looked it up. There was no scriptural basis for it other than it became public knowledge that everybody knows that you're married. But look at what we do today and think it's of God. We've got to have the choices of rings. No, you're an idolater. There's nothing wrong with having a nice ring, but 
the, the bottom line is that had nothing to do with God. Nothing at all. So it's just something that we like to believe that we're serving God in so many ways, but we don't know where half of our traditions come from, more importantly, if they even offend the Lord. So it's things that we've got to think about considering this. But, you know, the Lord has even shown me this about me. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Okay, well, you passed by 10 people that I gave you the opportunity to speak to today, and you wouldn't. God's not really commanding that you hop off a bus or you go and do this to go and do whatever. I mean, he does want us to be like that all every day. But God will even set up scenarios in your life where, you know, it's funny how you and this person are just sitting here talking. So you should be talking about Jesus. You see, so, but where's your heart when it comes to him? But if it's with him, then we will do what he says. Yes, sir. Point on that, too, is something I'm sitting, concerning your wedding ring, something I'm seeing a lot more of now is people are actually getting a tattoo mm -hmm. on their fingers instead mm -hmm. of the actual ring. So it makes you wonder if, one, if it's really satanic, considering where things are starting to actually head. Absolutely. And I mean, it's just one of those things that a ring doesn't mean nothing. Or what would Jesus bracelet doesn't mean anything a crucifix doesn't mean anything these things mean nothing you know and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with having them but it's well tattoos but i'm just saying overall god's whole thing is the reason why we outwardly perform is because we inwardly don't believe right you see what i'm saying i've got to appear like this i've got to be shown as someone that's good you know because inwardly i'm suffering because if you're inwardly right, you can walk around like John the Baptist <laughs> proclaiming the gospel. I'm not saying be filthy, but John clearly wasn't worried about his outward appearance and neither was Jesus. But you see, inwardly, you know you don't have it. So outwardly, I've got to carry my Bible, sit with it in the cafeteria so that people can see that I'm a Christian. You know, and, and people will do this. The Lord even caught me one morning on my way, like when I get to work. I go outside and pray, you know, because I want to sanctify the area. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Lord is kind of thinking, well, why don't you sanctify areas that you go to regularly in the neighborhood? Oh, but you don't want to be seen as somebody crazy. So you wait to get to work to appear like you're doing God's will. So people can say, hmm, what's he doing? You know, the Lord had to check me with that, you know, and it's not that that was the whole motive behind it. But he's saying, well, why aren't you as hungry to do this? In other places. Why do you wait to get to work so that people can see you're a Christian and, and do all? Hey, I don't mind telling on myself these are things that need to be made right. right. That is the iniquity within that must come out. So this is how he's addressing them. So he says, but um, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. And I, mean, I don't even want to get into holidays and all that other stuff. But, you know, we've been down that road and it's the truth. Verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, uh, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth the man. So what is Jesus talking about here? Iniquity. Okay, what's truly in the heart? What's going on? But notice he called the multitude to him. I'm done with you religious people because you think you already know. So he called the people unto him. Guys, understand one thing. We outwardly perform. We outwardly speak about the world. We outwardly talk about the sins of others. But what's inside of you? Because, see, that which comes out of you is what's really in you. Not that which you, you know, you see on the outside and you think, 
This is the problem. The problem begins within. Where is the heart? So this is the doctrines and commandments of men that Jesus is speaking against. Because you see, this is almost seen as a Christian today. A Christian is seen as someone who brings his Bible to church, brings the family. You know, they get all dressed up and they sit there in the, in the uh, congregation. Well, amen. You said amen, amen, brother. And that's how it is. But see, outwardly, okay, you're agreeing with the pastor, but what do you disagree with that's outside of the church that we should be speaking about? But see, there's just so much in performance, getting up and doing solos, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Motives need to be right. Even the pastor at times becomes a performer for the people. And he's screaming and he's making noise and he's trying to be funny and he's trying to do all these things. But that's not really what God is focused on. He's focused on the heart. Who are you really? What's on the inside? And that's why he says that which cometh out of a man, that's what defileth the man. Yep. Your problem is inward, not outward. Once you've conquered inner space, then you can talk about outer space. Why? Because the temple itself is not defiled, making you the vessel fit for the master's use. Amen. But what we do is we know that we've got a road to go with God. We'll outwardly beautify what a Christian should look like and inwardly remain the same. And, and man, that's, that's really sad. But see, those are the doctrines and commandments of men that God wants to take us out of. So this is verse 12. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? You know why? Because Jesus shut them down. He, he told them what they needed to know, ignored them, and said, you people come to me. Let me explain something to you. So you see, the, the uh, disciples, they weren't self-righteous, but in some ways worldly here because Pharisees were considered, you know, the religious snobs. Like, you don't talk to a Pharisee like that. These are considered the religious leaders of the world. This would have been equivalent to, like, you know, talking to the Pope or talking to these mega preachers you see out there or just even a, a body of elders that, that are off course, you know, doing what they're doing. But we should never be in that place where we're respecters of persons that we can't tell people the truth. Mm -hmm. Many of us hear our pastors say things we know are wrong. We know it's wrong. And you know, you know more than him. But there's a way to explain, you know, um, Pastor, I noticed something. Um, if you look at... Um, Matthew 15, it says this. So, uh, you know, it, it's just something I was just wondering what you thought of. If he gets offended, he's a Pharisee, okay? Because the word of God is above all. He should be in that place where, you know what? I never looked at it like that. Well, praise the Lord. Or, hey, let me research it and get back to you. But if he's offended by it, you know what he's saying? I'm greater than the word of God. And you've got no right to tell me what's right and wrong. Yep. Don't get caught up in that mess. But anyway, uh, Okay, so they said um, after they heard this saying. So they were offended. Look at verse 15. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father have not planted shall be rooted up. So you see, there's his answer for it because he's like in this place of, do you guys not understand that this is not about your religious status? This is about what, you know, what my father plants. This is my father's vineyard. This is my father's world. And anybody that doesn't conform to what God the Father wants, then it will be rooted up and cast down. Yep. So instead of worrying about those people being offended, we need to go and live up to the standard of Jesus Christ, connecting to that vine so that we may be fruitful. 
Jesus said, man, I'm not worrying about those people. You know, I'm telling you guys, you need to focus on making it. That's right. You know, being with him. Look at 14. Let them alone. Leave them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then Peter answered and said unto him, declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, are ye also yet without understanding? You see, because this is Jesus saying, hey, the reason why Peter is asking here, you know, tell us the parable concerning this is because Peter doesn't really in some ways want to believe that the Pharisees were all that bad. You see, this is how we can be in the world. Because Peter's looking for a parable for more understanding. Jesus is pretty much telling you, I just told you. I told you every tree. That includes those Pharisees. If they don't walk in the righteousness of me and my father, they will be rooted up and cast out. So Peter's looking for a carnal way. So Lord, what's the parable? There ain't no parable. I just told you what needed to be known. They are unrighteous. I don't care what they call themselves. What's inside of them is what defiles them or what comes out of them. So Jesus said, are you also without understanding? Do you yet, do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draw? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile a man. I got a teaching also coming up on idle words, you know, the Lord's been giving me some understanding, and A.A. A. Allen really presented something amazing concerning it, that he says that even if you're doing a lot of joking, you know, that's defiling in many ways, because it's folly, it's foolishness, but see, we think that's become a part of Christian tradition, warming the people up, you know, I gotta warm them up, so that way they can be more receptive to it, where in the Bible does it say to do that? This is a serious matter, but I'm just saying, A.A. Allen said, it's not so much that it's bad if you might crack one quick joke or, you know, try and get some understanding as to what Jesus was saying so that people will get it. But, you know, I've been to churches where they're like comedy clubs. I mean, these people are laughing and playing and everybody's sitting there and you're feeling good about yourself. And this is really about learning what's of God and what's not. So idle words can be real bad for people because, you know, you just say things loosely, but God is saying, if you've got the breath in you to open your mouth, then you can tell people about me. You see what I'm saying? If it's really that important to us, instead of talking about sports, hey, what about Jesus? But these are things that he wants us to be aware of because you see, in the end, it's going to be, what did you do for me? But if you talked about sports 70% of the time, the gospel 5% of the time, and the other 25% is on some stuff that don't even matter. The Lord's going to say, yeah, I noticed with your mouth, you got more into other things, but you talked about me very little. So you see, these are things that God pays attention to, but where does it come from? The iniquity within. So Jesus said, man, that what comes out, that's your heart. And, you know, it's something to make us check ourselves, even when we're disappointed, even when we murmur against people that have offended us and done things. That's your heart. The Lord is showing you this. Now, that doesn't mean to correct a brother when he's wrong or speak strongly or rebuke and reprove. That is also of the heart of God because we're commanded to do such things. Okay? But what we must understand is, man, your mouth is your heart. Just pretty much say it that way. Whatever you're saying is you. That's what's really within because it took time to even think about what you wanted to say. 
And you know what? If you spoke loosely and freely, all that shows is your heart is loose. You know, your heart is like, what's that word? When a person is like, like reckless, you know, you just throw it out there, you know, so your heart is in the wrong place. Man, interesting. I love Jesus. Amen. So he says in verse 19, for out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. So what was this doctrine about? He was, he was attacking the um, doctrines of men, you know, outwardly performing when we should be inwardly, you know, being birthed again, being what God wants us to be. You know, as Jesus says, I am in some ways we are to be. You see what I'm saying? God wants you to live in this world led by his spirit, not just, you know, well, I got to be like this because I know inside I'm shallow. I've got nothing. So God wants us to grow organically and to be in that place with him. But the outwardly, the outward performance is a huge doctrine that God has got to bring down. Well, he will, because when the days come that he intends to use vessels, some are going to be full of his spirit and others are going to be just empty vessels. Just a whole lot of talk, but no action whatsoever, because God's not even working with you. Okay, so that's the first so let's go to First uh, Timothy chapter 1. And anyone wants to add anything they can. Well, why is my sinus acting up whenever I start teaching? I was just fine this week. First Timothy chapter 1. interesting too about the whole uh, joking and playing around because it's like sometimes I even have to be careful with that especially at work it's like not to get caught up too much in that because it's like the Lord will catch me on that saying yeah I know you had a good time with that it's like but how much did you talk about me today at work and stuff and it's like it's good that he checks our spirit because when he does that, I mean, it's, it's not even a, a matter of embarrassment, but when the Lord checks our spirit, that means that he show, he's showing that he still loves us and we're not, you know, completely on the outcast yet. We want him. We want his correction. It may not feel good at the time, but it's like if he doesn't correct us, then it's like he's letting us go off in our own way, which is something we don't want him to do. We never want the Lord to just let us alone and do whatever we want. That's why the Lord pulls on the heartstrings, you know, and I'm not, I know a lot of times people might have felt that I didn't put a lot of emphasis on love and all that, but that's not the kind of heart I'm talking about. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, mm -hmm. you know, so in only, in only way that we can really obey Jesus is to really love him, you know, and fear works too when your heart's a little bit faint yeah. and you actually say, you know what, God's going to you know, this ain't going to be good if I do this, so I'm going to step back. But see, you need both. You know, some people think it's just, oh, just love, love, love. See, I think that in some ways it's fear until you learn to love even more. I think it's great to fear the Lord, and I, that's what the Bible commands us to have. But I think along with maturity, it's more of a love-based thing than it becomes fear. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you know 
that you want God. You want to be like him. It's one thing to be commanded to do what's right. It's another thing to do what's right by nature because you're like your father. You know, you love God, so you want to obey God. You want to spend time with him. It's not a priority to get on your knees. You want to speak to him like you would texting or calling anyone else. Okay, so that's that's the biggest thing in maturity. I believe it does move from a healthy dose of fear unto the heart, you know, unto, unto being where God wants you to be with him. You know, parents, kids usually don't like their parents growing up, but it's got to be in you to want to go back once you're old enough to do things on your own. You know, once you get to that place where I'm moved out now, you know, I don't really need my parents for anything. I go home and check on them because I honor them, because I love them. It's the same way with God. But when you're young, you know you can't run away from home because you fear the wrath of your parents. But when you grow up and you love them, man, mom, dad, I just want to be with you today. That, that's, that's really why I'm here. I don't really, it's not because I don't have anything to do. I like spending time with you. And that's where we've got to get to the place with him. All right, so this is 1 Timothy 1. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, mine own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace, from God our Father, and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So as you can see, when he went to Ephesus, we're going to talk about what happened at Ephesus, what he was teaching against, you know, what he wanted to make right, and Macedonia. But one thing Paul always came to teach, and so did the disciples, that they would teach no other doctrine. Why? Because a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We've got to learn that if we compromise some of our values in the gospel and some of the word, you may as well throw the whole thing away because it's no good. I've seen countless people try and defend the Bible only to speak against the Bible. There's a guy who claimed to be a Christian told me that because um, I was mentioning something about the firmament in the Bible. And he said, well, um, show me in the Greek what that word really means or Hebrew. And I said, yeah, I'll show you. It's right here. And he just, you know, yeah, but that can mean dog and that can mean cat. So he just didn't want to be wrong. There's Muslims standing around us, okay, outside of the hotel listening to this, and there's unbelievers. You had a few Christians, you know, that were, that offered comments to me later. But this guy claimed to be a Christian, but he didn't want to accept the fact that God said the world looked like it did. Mm -hmm. So instead of him being wrong in front of people, he was trying to defend himself and speaking against the word of God. See, because in the old um, Hebrew, it could say dog. But see, but here, it could say cat. And then he turns to a Muslim. See, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, because it could be different. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so how are you defending the gospel? I said, one, you can't speak Hebrew or Greek. So whatever I bring forward here, that is the gospel. I mean, that is the word you should be yielding to. So then after everybody left, he came to me and said, you know, um, no, no, I, I believe God's word. It's not that that I have a problem with. Uh, yeah, but you pretty much told the whole world that's how you felt. So you didn't defend the Bible. You went against it, Sarah and Christina. I know Sarah raised and said Just something. a quick point on that is uh, I was talking to someone yesterday, and I was we, we were we got on the whole uh, church and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And I basically, I told this person, I said, you know, church today, 
like we talk about in Bible studies, that we have one common enemy, and that's Satan. But what has Satan done? He's gotten in the church, and he's turned the church against itself. Mm -hmm. And because of that, because of all the different denominations out there, you yeah. got Christians against Christians. The devil's just sitting back like, my job is done. Because now, instead of I've taken their focus off of fighting against me, they're fighting against each other now. Mm -hmm. Because what's happened, like we're talking about tonight, People are leaving sound doctrine. They're going out there, all this other crazy stuff. And mm -hmm. so they're believing one thing here, one thing there. And it's like, man, you can't go against each. It, what does the gospel say? You know, one God, one baptism, one mediator, one church. That is it. Because Satan has got people, you know, yip-yapping against one another. And he's like, hey, they're not looking at me anymore. So, mm -hmm. hey, whatever, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Because, you know, church simply means called out ones. Mm -hmm you know, those separated to God. But what's so funny here is that, you know, if you think about it, the church doesn't have any problems. You see, because the church, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Mm -hmm. Another, they will not follow. So the true people of God, they don't have, I mean, they, the devil, of course, attacks them like anybody else. But one thing is clear, they turn to God and they turn to the word. But see, you got a lot of tears within the wheat. And yeah. this is where you think, man, churches are fighting one another no church fighting one another because we're one spirit. What you're finding is a lot of tears or a lot of people that are, you know, deceived in the midst that, that want to go with their heart and not serve God. Mm -hmm. But as far as God's church, his church is fine. Remember when I, Elijah thought he was the only one? And the Lord said, I have 7,000 men that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Believe me, you're not alone. My church is worldwide. My church is not sitting in one particular place. But God even warns those who are unbelievers and those who are deceived if you want to be a part of the church this needs to be corrected Amen. you know but outside of that God's church is just fine because he said they're only a remnant anyways those who will actually hear God's word and believe what God says you know I thought you were going to say something that's why for, you know, just sitting there taking it all in but no it's true um so, you know, they're not supposed to be teaching any other doctrine. So he says in verse 4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions and strife. I mean, why do I get the strife? I think I'm thinking First Timothy chapter 6. But anyway, so he says that minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now, another doctrine that people get into is this big Hebrew-Israelite movement. Whether Jesus Christ was black, white, purple, or green makes no difference. The bottom line is, are we saved? Can he save your black soul is the only thing that we need to understand. But you see, people have brought a lot of racism into this. And I mean, they really think that they're right. Just by how much melanin content you have in your skin determines to you whether or not somebody's saved then we're way off the mark concerning the doctrine. So Paul understood that things like this would go on, fables and endless genealogies, a lot of things that people can't even prove that they just talk so much about and they build doctrines around it, taking away from the gospel. Yep. All right, uh, verse, so he says, in faith, so do. Look at verse five. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and out of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. So our faith needs to be sound, unshakable, and the true commandment or the end of what God desires for his people is charity. You know, that's the agape love out of a pure heart and a good conscience. Your conscience witnesses against you unless it's seared, you know when you're doing right before the Lord. 
You know when things don't feel right to him because they don't feel right to you if you be of one body and of one spirit with Christ. So these are the things we should be looking at. The motives of our heart are, am what I'm doing pure? I mean, is what I'm doing pure before God? Or do I have ulterior motives? Do I want to be liked by people? Do I want to appear as the most intelligent person in the room? Do I just want to do my little part so that I may be respected of all? Do I want this person to like me because of what I'm doing? These are the motives of our heart that God's saying, if any of that is involved, we've got to step outside of that. Yep. You know, this is all about him. Amen. So your faith shouldn't be shaken. Verse 6, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor where they confirm. Now here's another doctrine, Sabbath keeping. A lot of people want it. We taught on that a couple of weeks ago on a radio show. But the whole thing is some people think they're keeping the Sabbath because they go to church on Saturday. That means nothing to God. That's outwardly performing. We're supposed to be worshiping the Lord every day. But look at how the devil can take something so small and make it important. And then they'll say, that's why he says, desiring to be teachers of the Lord, but they don't even understand the law or what, what God's law was meant to do until the coming of Christ. We can, you know, focus so much on one little bush that we miss the whole forest behind the bush. You see, but this is the whole story is you being of God, Christ living in you. But you want to, you know, talk about what the law is supposed to be like. You don't even understand that the law was only, you know, broken down to two, two commandments. Loving the Lord thy God and loving your neighbor. Yep. But look at how we can swerve and go some other place. Christina, got something? Um, I don't know, because this is like something I've dealt with a lot in the last like few months. Mm -hmm. I'm with doctrine, and I just feel like people, the doctrine of the teaching, different way of teaching, different denominations can take a doctrine and teach it the way that they want to teach it. But what I've noticed is that often, um, and I didn't even know like that, that was even something in the Christianity realm. Like mm -hmm. literally, Jesus Christian. didn't want you to know. Yeah, <laughs> and so what? like when I finally started like talking to people who had different viewpoints who are Christians, mm -hmm. like it honestly brought like a lot of confusion because I'm like that's not, <laughs> and it shouldn't be that way. And just like in my heart, I just like this is like that's not what God wants. Like God does not want all these denominations. He does not want all this separation. No, there's no and such thing. People get so stuck to these traditions and rituals and doing the right thing because it's what they can see. And it, it honestly, it becomes, it takes away their faith. It yeah. takes away their belief. They are trusting in the things that they do versus in God. There you go. And, you know, the it's fortunate thing for, like, you and Carlin and, you know, other people is when you guys came to the Lord, yeah, we went through the doctrine, but you guys saw it. And what we've always talked about is having a personal relationship with Christ. So when people start talking about, you know, is it this or is it that? Or, you know, maybe it was it. All you're saying is, look, all I know is Jesus. This is the only one I know right here. I don't know where you, what you guys are talking about, but that's the way God wants it. He wants you on his path, not all into all this other stuff. Now, of course, doctrine must be sound, but the bottom line is you get sound doctrine from following the Lord and reading his word, not going into people's traditions. Yeah. I found out something about the Baptists that Baptists used to be Holy Ghost preaching people, but see, there's no such thing as a Baptist. 
but they used to believe in the Holy Ghost. Somewhere around the 30s or 40s, there was a charismatic movement that came into the midst. And the devil was, I mean, this had his name written all over it. But what he did was, the Baptists, you know, were those who believed in being baptized and everything else, but they still held on to the doctrine. What ended up happening was the charismatics came along and were so crazy with spiritual gifts that it became, they kind of, um, what do you call it, trumped the Pentecostals. Like they, they mixed them with the Pentecostal movement pretty much. And the Pentecostals themselves, you know, began to be identified with charismatics. Okay, so the Baptists saw this and said, you know what? These Pentecostals are crazy. So I'm stepping back from it and I'm not going to be a part of this. That's where that really came into be. The charismatic movement had all kinds of spiritism and all sorts. I mean, it was stuff not even involved. That's where you went in a church and everybody in there was speaking in tongues. And Paul was saying, uh-uh, you can have two in there speaking, but there should be an interpreter or one or two interpreters to understand what's being said. Right. So the charismatics, even though they tried to be spiritual, they took the order out of the church. Where even the Baptists stepped back and they said, man, this is wrong. But the Pentecostals got identified with it, even though they didn't have anything to do with it. So you see what I'm saying? But there should be no Pentecostals and there should be no Baptists. The bottom line is, either we're the Church of Christ, and like, you know, when Pentecost, or at Pentecost, where it was born. Mm -hmm. But you're not supposed to be known as a denomination, only that you believe the same and you walk in the doctrine of Pentecost, which was the Apostles' Doctrine. But you see, a lot of Baptists, I learned that later on, that they used to believe in casting out demons. They used to believe in laying hands on the sick and speaking in tongues. But the devil found a way, like you guys are both saying, to divide. And that's why he says, look at verse 6 again, from which some having swerved and turned aside unto vain jangling. So as you can see, they went after vanity. You know, it's one thing to desire spiritual gifts because the Lord tells us to, but your main goal should be asking to be filled. Jesus, fill me and live in me. Clean out my temple that you can do what you need to do. But some of us desire the spiritual gifts and forget all about Jesus. And that makes you a spiritist. Mm -hmm. You see, it's really about Christ and what he decides to do in you. If he wants to speak in tongues, he'll speak in tongues. If he wants to cast out a devil, he'll cast out a devil. But you're not supposed to be, Lord, give me the power to cast out devils. Because, you see, it becomes about you and not him. He's supposed to be living in you to do whatever his good pleasure is in you. You know, whatever need is necessary. Excuse me. So verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, uh, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. So as you can see, we live by the spirit, not in the law, but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and for sinners for unholy and profane and murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers for manslayers for whoremongers for them that defile themselves with mankind for men stealers for liars for perjured persons and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine so as you can see these are the these are the reasons why the lord would apply to you if you're following god you are living perfect that's the thing that people have got to understand. And that's why we've got to get that teaching out on sin, iniquity, and transgression. Why? Because sin simply means to miss the mark. That means God could have told you walking by, hey, I need you to pray for this person, and you keep on walking, that's sin. 
okay, because you're, you're, you're going away from what the Spirit commanded you to do. So sin just means to miss it altogether. God can tell you, I want you in prayer at 6 o'clock, and you get into prayer 601, that's sin, okay? And I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just saying, when you miss the mark, it means you don't obey the commandments. I'm not trying to be an extremist like the Lord is now mad because you went down on your knees a, a half a second after. No, it's more to do with what is the Spirit telling you to do. So you see, every man, if he's following God and obeying the Spirit, is perfect if he's walking in the Spirit. You can't go wrong. You could be on your way to church to do a Christian thing, and God can tell you, I want you home today. I want you over at the bus stop the minute to somebody church can wait. I want, a matter of fact, I want you to miss it because after that, I want you over here. Guess what? That is perfect before the Lord. Why? Because you're obeying the Spirit of God. Amen. That's why we got to get to the place of hearing God's voice. If we're having trouble now with hearing God's voice, we need to get back into prayer. We need to get back into fasting. There's something blocking what God is trying to tell you. And that's why, you know, when we go and do these things, we become in some ways lawless or ungodly. To be godly is to be Christ-like, but is to be led of the Spirit. This is not a thing that you can outwardly perform. So as you can see, anything that is contrary to sound doctrine goes in these categories of all this filth here and what man do. So doctrine must be sound. All right? So if no one has anything to add, let's go to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, right next door. All right. Mm -hmm. And literally, it says the Bible says don't do any private interpretation. Mm -hmm. But they'll take a scripture and they will, out of man's knowledge, mm -hmm. create what it means, mm -hmm. which makes sometimes no sense <laughs> on how they're putting those connections together. Absolutely, just go with the word, and like the Lord will tell you, mm -hmm. the Spirit will tell you, Holy Ghost, if it's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And some people, especially people who are in tradition, really struggle with listening to the Spirit. Like knowing what that feels like, hearing God's voice, and so when you Absolutely. tell them that, that's confusing because it's not written, it's not mm -hmm. logical, mm -hmm. you know. No, totally. And I think that's why people need to get absorbed in God's word because the word becomes a part of you. There's times you can be teaching and talking and the Lord but his rhema can actually be talking to you at the same time you're speaking. Mm -hmm. Like this is what this means, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. And one thing we're finding out about the word, especially in the Hebrew and Greek, is that God's word is so full that you can take one word and break it off into six meanings. But I mean, of course it's gotta be relevant to what's going on, but how full God's word is. I've got to send you a teaching on that, but that's why you can go over the same scripture and you can have one word that can be faith, the other can be hope, but you can pull out more. Then you can pull out the fact that they are fruit of the spirit. Then you can pull out the fact that, you know, without one, you can't have the other. So with God's word, it's like you've got to constantly chew on it and get all the nutrients out of it because some people will say from the outside of it, I've read the Bible. You know, I already read it. So what more do I need to do now? Study, get into the word, chop it up, digest it, let it transform you. Go back to the scriptures, get more understanding, get more Christ, you know, out of it. Because what happens is a lot of people will just read it once and then, well, I've read it. Well, I've read it three times, so I'm not going to read the book of Matthew anymore. 
No, we need to go back because there is the washing of the water by the word. It conforms us. It transforms us. It gets us in that mode of pursuing God. But you're absolutely right. The Bible is of no private interpretation. But one thing a good teacher that is of the spirit will do is bring more understanding in relation to the scriptures. Like Derek Prince at one time, he actually said that he believed that the white horse was Christ. And um, he said that he felt like the white horse in the four horsemen of the apocalypse had to stay ahead of the other horses before they could do their damage and do what that is. There's no scriptural basis for that. But I think, you know, and many times you'll hear Derek Prince say things like, well, now I'm going to give the Prince interpretation of the scriptures. And a lot of people in the original Hebrew and Greek, they assume that they know more than the people that wrote it. Not understanding that words change meaning. Like one thing he says that I disagree with, with Derek Prince, he'll say a Christian cannot be, or no, he said the word possessed should not be in the Bible. The proper word is demonized. Now, I'm sure you guys have heard them say that. But one thing to me, I feel like the word possessed is right in the scriptures. Now, am I as big a Hebrew or Greek scholar as he is? No, but it goes according to what's being said. If I hold this pen, this pen is in my possession. Okay, this pen can belong to either one of you. Okay, but right now I'm holding on to it. So this pen is in my possession. Does that mean that it's mine? Think about what I'm saying. If you guys, if this is your pen and I'm holding on to it to write or to do something with it, does that make this pen mine? But it is in my possession. You understand what I'm saying? But Derek Prince believes that if you use the word possessed, then it means that you are owned by Satan. You know, but I don't believe that. When it says a boy was possessed with the spirit, the spirit was using him. Mm -hmm. At times, they said the boy would fall off into the fire or into the water. And at times, the kid was normal. So at times, mm -hmm. the kid does belong to God. Everybody does. But when you think about it, you know, the spirit is using this individual for this particular moment to get him to flail around and to do things. Now, am I a scholar? Does Derek Prince No. But one thing I understand is that God's word is right. But some people will say, no, the word means to be demonized. Yeah, you can be demonized, but the bottom line is possession is a word that you can use. If I'm holding a cup, this cup is in my possession. Do I own the cup? No. Okay, but it can belong to someone else. So I hate when people speak against the King James, and it's not personal for me, but I don't like when people assume that they're more intelligent than the scholars that took seven years to write this. One of them was Lancelot Andrews that spoke 15 languages fluently, more than Prince. But you see, it's like we can go into the world and learn a little Hebrew, learn a little Greek, and like, like what's his name? James White does. Oh, yeah, you see, that's wrong because it should be. Hey, all I know is this. This is what God breathed on. When I follow it, it goes right for me. So I can't speak for anyone else. But sometimes we can put so much on what we think we know instead of believing God that God preserved his word. So, you know, I'm not against Derek Prince. I like Derek Prince. I've learned a lot. I've got tons of his books and I've heard a lot of his things. But on that particular situation, I disagree. You know, I agree with what the scriptures say. So, you know, uh, and maybe no one, and, and see, this is how we can become respecters of persons because maybe no one ever explained it to Derek Prince that way. You see, when you come from a British background, the words mean it's slightly different than they do in American. But maybe nobody's explained that to him like, you know, Derek Prince, 
This can be yours. But if I'm holding it, wouldn't it be in my possession for the time being? You know, that's something to think about. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, I stick with the scriptures because Derek Prince will say, I'll give my interpretation. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Yeah. You know, like there was another one where people would talk about when um, Satan is cast down, that they would say um, that, that everybody will narrowly look upon Satan and say, is this the man? that have caused people to, um, you know, cause the whole earth to fall. And then Derek Prince and, you know, others believe that, no, it means the, the, the real word that should be there means person. Now, I'm like, okay, but then when you go to Ezekiel 1 and you look up what a cherub looks like, a cherub has four faces and one of them is the face of a man. Yeah. Okay, but I'm just saying scripturally, you don't know exactly what that's supposed to be, you know? But some people say, no, it should really say persons. Hey, all I know is what's written. I believe God's word, and I go according with what God says, you know? And I'm not thinking I'm ready to square off with Derek Prince. I mean, that man's accomplished more than I ever have, but we can't be respecters of persons. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is God's word is true, and everything that speaks outside of God's word is a lie, that's right. period, you know? So, you know, I might use examples at times when I talk about that the Egypt was the flesh, you know, the um, uh, wilderness is the soul, and the promised land is the spirit. Now, some people would say, where can you find that in the Bible? That comes with revelation. Paul does mention that they came out of Egypt, they were in the wilderness, and they went other places, but we got to understand the way man is made, body, soul, and spirit, the temple, outer court, inner court, most holy place. God tends to take us through stages of three, even when sacrifices were made. Okay, so those are things that can bring revelation, but Christina is right. You cannot privately interpret what you think it says. What does it say and what does it not say? That's absolutely right. So this is First Timothy 4, and it's funny she said that because look at where we're going. This is verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So what we got to understand here is these are seducing spirits. These are doctrines of demons. A lot of people will depart from the faith because of this. One thing I do know about God's word, if you're in it, you have to be in it because you believe it's right. There is no gain in it other than eternal life and seeking Jesus Christ that he may work through you, transform you, and live in you. Okay, that's the only purpose of the gospel, that we might be saved, okay? But when it says here they give heed to seducing spirits, a seducing spirit is some spirit that has to entice you to want something other than the truth. Mm -hmm. And you see, God's word can easily be looked at in this way because, you know, like I may tell people, you know, we need to be born again. We need to walk with God. We need to forsake the world. A lot of people believe the scriptures of God, but a lot of people do not believe as a Christian that we should forsake the world. A lot of people think there is nothing wrong with living and doing exactly what the world does as long as the law states that you can do it. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a seducing spirit because you want to enjoy what you can have here outside of what God calls you to. You know, even the false love doctrine with telling people, you know, you love them. Oh, I just want to tell you I love you and Jesus loves you. And then, you know, you want that person to like you. 
when you didn't see anybody that preached the gospel ever come like that. Paul might have explained what he explained, but then Paul later said, yeah, well, I'm doing this because my love for you is that you may know the truth. But he never not preached the gospel and just came to everyone and said, you know, I just love you and Jesus loves you. And that in some ways is a cop out because you're trying to give everybody the positive of Jesus without really talking about what Jesus really said. You see what I'm saying? I want you to come in because Jesus loves you, which is true. But your approach is that they don't really have to change a thing. Just come in and be a part of this. You know, when God calls for us to change, most of the times when we did change, we heard of more things that God wanted to change in us than we actually heard about all kinds of positives. I mean, the only positive was eternal life and, and having a relationship with Jesus. But you see, we knock down the gospel sometimes when all we want to preach about is Jesus loves you. Yes, Jesus does. He died for you. He did all these things for us. But he's also calling for you to be like him. And you see, that's the part that people don't want to hear. That's why when you preach the real gospel and then someone comes along and says, this is all about God's love. You know, we ought to love God and God loves us. So it doesn't matter what you do. You can always be saved. The one saved always saved doctrine. See, it doesn't matter what you do. God will love you. God will love you even when he sends you to hell. But the bottom line is, you know, God love is supposed to bring forth transformation. The Bible says God is angry with sin all the day long. But if you listen to a lot of these people today, man, God is okay. You know, he just loves you. But God calls for his people to be different. So a lot of people will give or be given over to prosperity doctrines and, you know, seducing spirits. And we've got to know when a spirit is pulling us away from God. It's even a seducing spirit that can come sometimes and says, you know, Jesus loves you. And you need to just give yourself to him. That is true. But then when you go in and you hear what they preach, if they're not preaching correction, if they're not preaching the things that offend God, if they're not preaching hell, if they're not preaching transformation, then what are you preaching? You're trying to get another happy person to sit up in your congregation that can give you a tithe? What are you really preaching then? Because if I truly love you, I'm going to tell you about the things that are wrong so that you can do what's right. Because I love you. And I know that God means what he says and says what he means. Yes, Sarah? That is so true because when it's, man, we can't thank God enough for giving us the spirit of discernment because when you have sound doctrine, you can sit there and you can listen to somebody, whether it's Gary Price or whoever. And, you know, Gary Price does preach a lot of good things, but it's like even he, you know, it's like, if he were to go off in another mm -hmm. direction, when you have sound doctrine, you can say, well, wait a minute. I was with you right up until about that point. That's what the Spirit is supposed to do for us all yeah. so that we don't fall victim to personalities. Mm -hmm. That's really what it's about. The Spirit, even when I'm talking, some people may say, well, that was right, but that don't sound right. You know, whatever. Let me, you know, and, and you know what? That's what it's here for. And if there's a correct, yep. You're absolutely right. I was wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But that's where the seducing spirits will take people over because they won't yield to what God's word says. They want to feel good. Yeah. And it becomes about you and not Jesus. So these are doctrines of devils. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Derek Prince also talks about here that the proper word is demon, you know, than devil because devil means adversary. Once again, you know, words change meaning all the time. 
But the bottom line is the devil is an adversary because to me it speaks of both here. He says seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. A devil doesn't have to be, you know, a spirit. A devil means adversary. So that can be man or spirit. Mm -hmm. Not to say a spirit won't be behind it, but it can be. But Derek Prince believes this whole thing is demons. To me, a seducing spirit is a demon. Okay, because it doesn't come from God. And then you're talking about um, doctrines of devils. Devils, to me, is the proper term. Adversaries. Okay, because you know it's not just a demon you know, preaching in the man, the man is also giving his will over to allow for the demon to preach in him. So they are working together, all right? Because if it was all about demons, then on judgment day, God should just forgive us all and let us go because you know a demon was behind it, but you gave that demon dominion to do and say what he said, so you're in line with him. Yes, Sarah? And you know, a good example of that is in the scriptures when um, Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm going to be going into Jerusalem Peter said, Far it be from thee, Lord, to do this. And mm -hmm. Lord, rebuke him. He said, Get behind me, Satan. Mm -hmm. Speaking to Peter. So he was speaking to the man. That's right. And Satan, who was the devil, That's behind right. Peter. Amen. That's absolutely right. So, as you can see, a lot of people are going to be given over to seducing spirits mm -hmm. and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. So we've got to even understand that when you sit up under seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, your conscience will become seared. That's why when you can tell people the things that are wrong, they don't really, you know, yeah, well, my pastor didn't say it that way, and I believe this is right. Why? Because you were seduced. You were enticed to believe what you believe. And you see, enticing and seducing sears the conscience. And it says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So God has allowed us to be able to marry and to eat meats, you know, or whatever. But you see, places like Catholicism and Catholics, they preach about forbidding to marry, you know, and commandments of whatever. You know, a lot of priests, and look at the stuff that they're caught up in molesting little boys you know the nuns wait till it's nighttime and you know a lot of these women you know get down and do all sorts of sexual filth and things like that why that the doctrine of forbidding to marry and abstain from meats and all these other things a lot of people are still holding on to the law of moses because they believe in certain things about meats that's between you and the lord but the bible says they can all be received with thanksgiving if you believe or if it's of the truth so that's just something to think about because you're finding most false doctrine today is brought forward due to seducing. I even recognize at times we would go out there and minister to people and talk to people. And I did notice at times I would go over to a person before even talking to them about Jesus and say, hey, do you need prayer? Now, you know, you got people depending on whatever faith they're in, they may want to receive prayer. But then if you don't talk to them about Jesus, they don't even know what the prayer is necessary for. So you see the gospel, to me, when you ask someone if they need prayer to go out and minister, the Lord has recognized this with me, that's a seducing spirit. Because you dare not stand with them with the truth, telling them what they need to know, and then ask them if they need prayer. You just go out and ask them that they need prayer instead of saying, hey, may I speak to you for a minute? Mm -hmm. I just want to know, do you know Jesus? See, that puts you right in front of them as, a, as an obstacle that most people don't want to walk in. So where do we go? 
Hey, um, excuse me, do you need prayer? Hey, excuse me, Jesus loves you. See, that's a seducing spirit because you dare not tread that fine line of preaching the gospel and telling people what they need to know. Yeah. Because Jesus never said to preach the gospel that we might be liked. He said, whomsoever will believe will receive it and get baptized. If you believe it not, you will be damned. And John 3, he says, him that believe not is condemned already. So he's all about bringing the truth and letting people know what they need to know. But there are cases where you can find yourself copping out. And I believe that's due to a seducing spirit. You want to appear on the righteous side of a person by trying to look nice, speak cordial, which is nothing wrong with. But the thing is, is we've got to be real careful where the heart is. Because if the heart is not right, you just want to, you know, get this over with quick by asking somebody if they need prayer that they may like you when they leave instead of understanding, hey, do you need prayer? Because the Lord is telling me that, you know, the gospel needs to be preached to you or whatever. I'm not saying there aren't avenues that God may give us to walk down to preach the gospel because he that winning souls is wise. But we can't find ourselves in that place always seeking the lighter road. Jesus loves you. Not because it's not true, but because you're afraid to tell that person what they really need to hear. So many times the Spirit can tell you, speak to this person about me, that they need me because I'm calling them unto doing more in their lives. Or they're going to be damned if they don't repent. You can hear that from God and then say, I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. That's a seducing spirit. And more importantly, that's cowardice because you're not listening to what God is telling you to really say. And it's funny how so many people come with prophecy today, and they'll always have prophecies of good things. Yeah, I, I see money in your future, brother. The Lord is going to give you the person you want to marry. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. That's man's prophecy today. Back then, when the prophets spoke, they didn't have any good news. Okay, when Nathan came to David, Nathan didn't start with, David, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, you are going to be blessed. And you will have a son. His name will be Solomon. However, you know, you did kill a man and you need to make that right. That's not how Nathan came to David. He came and said what God needed to be said. David fell down and repented. Now we can talk about what God has got for you. Okay, so we just got to be careful along which lines we preach the gospel and we tell people. Because many of us, because we're shallow, we want to preach you know, love to people because we want to be loved. That's the true purpose behind why in many cases we might say or do what we do. And it's important that we understand even a seducing spirit can be in the very person that is trying to win someone to Christ because they refuse to tell the truth. Amen. All right, so let's move on. Let's go to Second Timothy chapter 4. It's not easy to be bold, but you know where the boldness comes is being in Christ. You won't even have to think about what you say. You will be like Christ. When you're fasting and praying, you don't even have to try to speak. The words shoot out of your heart. The Lord will bring them right out of your heart. I mean, yeah, you might think, man, did I really say that? Oh, yeah, you said it. And they heard you loud and clear. You're looking at yourself like, wait, was that just me I just said? Exactly. So if we spend time with the Lord, we'll find all these things to be easy. God will tell you when to give, um, you know, what do you call it? Encouragement. Mm -hmm. 
He'll tell you when to do certain things, but we try and figure, all right, if I encourage first, then I should meet the objective. That's sin. Because you, you really should be waiting on the words of God to say anything or to do something. Some people, God may bring you over to, and you need to tell them, you need to repent because the Lord is going to do whatever. And that person may be brought to tears if it's led by the Spirit. And then you come, then the Lord will say, go put your arm around them and tell them whatever. But they needed to hear that. And then the person, oh, how do I get saved and do that? You know, and, you know, and the Lord will tell you, just let them know, you know, it's okay. You know, we're going to work through this and work it out. Then there's some people, the Lord will tell you, come with compassion first. Why? This person might have been contemplating suicide. So you see, you've got to obey the spirit and what God tells you. Because he could be a hard-headed person that God really loves, but God has got to crack that nut with some serious gospel. You know what I'm saying? So the person will receive it. But if you speak lightly, they may just blow you off. Yeah. So God may tell you, this is what I want you to say. You've got to trust him. Amen. All right, so this is 2 Timothy 4. In verse 1, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, and his appearing, or at his appearing um, and his kingdom. He tells us to preach the word to be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So as we understand, if he tells us to preach the word, he says to be instant. That means to be ready to fire on a moment's notice whatever God tells you to say. Having yourself spiritually prepared and in many ways physically to meet what God calls you to do. There are many times God can be speaking to you to have a good night's sleep. I want you to actually go to bed now because in the morning, I need your mind sharp to do what needs to be done. And if we stay up three hours past that, that's sin. Because the Lord knows you're going to be too tired now to engage what I'm calling you to do. These are, these are important things. So he says to be instant, be ready. When God tells you to fire, you fire. When he tells you to go, you go. But he says... In season and out of season. So don't just be ready on Sunday. Don't just be ready on Tuesday night. Be ready at all times because God intends to use you wherever you are. Then he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So he knows that when you reprove people, sometimes it'll go well. Sometimes it won't go so well. Sometimes people will want to part from your company. The bottom line is, this is the commandment. With all long-suffering and doctrine. So Paul knows it is not easy to preach the gospel. You're going to have to get into people's houses. You're going to have to get into people's worlds and mess them all up sometimes that they may be brought to reality and see the truth. Sometimes a strong man has got to be bound. He's got to be broken up. He's got to be cast out. In many cases, when people are offended with you, it's not them that's offended. It's what's within. So if the Bible talks to us about breaking down strongholds, then we got to be willing to do what God says. And sometimes it's not going to feel good. It's going to be with long suffering. You're going to tell someone something, they're not going to listen to you. You're going to have to tell them again, they're not going to listen to you. You're going to have to tell them 10 more times, they're not going to listen to you. But then one day, the light will come on, they'll begin to hear it and understand, and thank you, Jesus. And then they'll come and try and tell you something, and you, you want to say, that's what I've been telling you. But you know, this is all a part of long suffering. Sometimes preaching the gospel can get you fired. Sometimes preaching the gospel can make your church kick you out because they don't believe. 
Okay, so you got to preach the word with all long suffering and doctrine. It's going to be good sometimes, but in most cases, it won't be. Why? Because you're shining light into a dark world if people receive Christ. That's going to be considered rude almost anywhere you go. You know, so this is verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And this is what you see, because you want to tell people, hey, man, if what was said, I know you don't like the individual personally, personally, but was it true? You see, that's what it boils down to. Was it true? But then some people, well, I just don't like the way he said it. I like the way this other person said it or whatever. So it's about you. It's not even about the truth. Was it true? And if it's true and if it's biblical, if it's scriptural, then we need to walk in it. That's the bottom line. So it says, with all long suffering and doctrine, or they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, you see, their own lust are behind this. Shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears? So you see, it's about you. I want you to preach about things that I like so that way I can, you know, I can receive it. So this ain't even about Jesus. And this is why most people won't receive sound doctrine. Why did you and I believe the truth when we heard it? Why did we question it, but it didn't take long before we began to conform to it? Because it was Jesus, after all, that we believed. But when I still got things that I don't want to come out of my life, when I got things that I want to fight to defend, when it becomes about me, then I'm only going to look at this word in accordance with what is agreeable to me. And that, that becomes dangerous. So look at verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Why? Because the lie suits my need more than the truth. And this is dangerous ground. But he says, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. You see that? You must be watchful and you must endure. Okay? Because we're going through. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. So the work of an evangelist is the only thing being mentioned here in Paul's last words. What is more important to God than going after a soul? That is the single most important work. God don't care how long you preach, how long you teach. At the end of it all, are you winning souls to me? Are people taking the doctrine, believing it, and wanting to come in? God cares about evangelism more than anything. And I think once God's church has been set loose and we become empowered by the Spirit, evangelism should be the single most important thing in your life. Not only are you did you hear the truth, not only now are you walking in it, but you want everybody you know to, to hear this truth and to walk in it. Why? Because the transformation that God made in your life, you want to experience with others. That's sound doctrine. Sound doctrine ain't hearing the word, believing it, and holding on to it. Sound doctrine means a whole, to hear the word, believe it, walk in it, and preach it to others. All right, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So Paul kept these three things. He fought a good fight. Most Christians today don't even believe that they should be a fight. They don't even believe that you've got to intrude in people's worlds and tell them the truth. Most people believe when you preach the gospel that they should just love you. Man, I wish it were that easy. I wish you could just come and tell people about Jesus. And they, you know, I just feel so full of God's love and joy. I now want to change my life. But it ain't like that. Why? Because we're in a battle with demons. 
Okay, so demons are fighting to keep the stronghold. We're fighting to set captives free. And in doing so, that's going to be a dirty little battle. So Paul fought the good fight and he finished his course. That means he obeyed what God told him to do. And he kept the faith while doing it. His faith did not waver. Sometimes a wavering in faith will keep us from not going as far with the Lord as we can go. Yes, Lord, I believe you to ministering to people out in the supermarket, out in the street. But when it comes to my job, <laughs> Lord, I believe you. But you know, this can actually cost me pretty big. So you see, you've got to keep the faith. You can't stray away from it. Your faith should grow in Christ. And that only comes through relationship. So he says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, because he did those three, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. So he made clear that God is going to give this out because he's a righteous judge to all them that believe, okay, a crown of righteousness. You know, there are Christians today that don't even believe they have to serve God in order to receive the rewards. This is another doctrine that people are teaching, a doctrine of slothfulness, you know. I, I mean, I want the rewards, but I don't feel like you should have to do anything to receive them. Salvation, you know, there's always doing in this. I mean, even, even believing is doing. If I believe God, then I'm going to change my life in accordance to what God wants. That's still doing. But some people don't believe, no, you shouldn't have to do anything. You know, just a spell is going to come upon you and that's it. No, I, I'm not saying that we will um, have a hand in all of our salvation. There are areas where we must have faith and believe. And because we believe, God can work in our lives. But you see, when we believe, we're available. When we believe, we walk in accordance with what his word says. When we believe, we do just those things that are pleasing to God. So a lot of people want to believe in believing, and they don't have to do anything else. A believer is a doer. But you can't put the cart before the horse. You've got to believe God first. Let God work in your life. And then you do according to being led by his spirit. Some people don't want to do anything. They just want to believe God is just going to pour out from heaven and just give you everything. And though you didn't do anything, never preach the gospel, never won one soul to Jesus, that we're supposed to believe we're going to receive the same reward as a Paul, as a Peter, and all these people. And when Jesus says the gate is narrow, that should really make us consider our walks. Lord, am I living a life pleasing to you? Was this the calling that you had put upon me? Because if we're taught to preach, if we're taught to, to win souls and to go after people, then how are you worthy of the reward of being saved if you've never tried to help save anyone? Are you going to say something? I was going to say that's kind of become a mindset of society and this generation growing up that they don't want to do everything in their power to not work hard but still receive a high reward. So they want to do everything that, like they literally will try to do the least amount mm -hmm. but still expect much. Absolutely. And Christina being a teacher, I mean, you know, me being in the education system, you can see this very thing concerning people. I'm sure over the years of you coaching, you've probably seen some students that can actually, that would give it their all to practice, 
And but you find that as the generations go on or the groups, they're starting to get more and more lazy. You know, well, we're supposed to win even though we don't practice. Would you say? the mentality of people this generation does not care anymore but she's absolutely right they want the most but they will they will do the least they don't even consider working for it it's not even a thought yeah what i've noticed on top of that it's really causing to be weak-minded as Mm -hmm. well which is causing there's a lot more mental illnesses um, that i've seen lately arise and that have ever really been at a young age Mm -hmm. when they get into adulthood all of a sudden they have to responsibilities and all these things because some mm-hmm. suicidal thoughts just because life life happens <laughs> like life that's true you know and that's a great point because it's almost like in some ways the i'm finding even with students the lazier they are the more time they have mm-hmm. and the more destructive they become it's almost yeah. like man can't even govern himself you need a job you know in some way you need some responsibility okay. you need Structure, exactly. But without it, man will self-destruct. He goes his own way. And all that leads us to more depression. Because instead of your mind being occupied and to learn how to think, to learn how to concentrate, to learn how to problem solve, all that stuff's been wiped away because you don't care. I don't care. I just want to get away from it. I don't even, it doesn't even matter to me. But then they find themselves going here for excitement. That's, that's destructive. Then they want to go here. Then they want to be there. But none of these things are beneficial to your growth or maturity. Mm-hmm. So this is why you're finding that. I absolutely agree. And you are beginning to find disorders because the mind is like anything else. If you don't exercise it, if you don't use it, if you don't understand what concentration is, it's going to fall. It's going to fail you because you're not working on it. That's one thing I'm kind of glad in my life. And I, I've noticed that the Lord has used it like to a benefit that you know, not escaping reality in some ways is good. Just to be able to go through the motions and deal with it. When we were all younger, you would escape to video games to get away from reality, drugs, alcohol, whatever it was just to cope. But you see, when God takes you outside of that and you begin to deal with it, you are facing reality and God wants you to. He wants you to go through. Why? So that you learn everything isn't going to be easy. But all things are possible when I believe in Jesus Christ. So God wants us to go through little trials and things to experience endurance. That's why he tells us to endure. But if we try and escape the things that God wants us to do, we'll never be ready for the end times. If we are already feeling defeated in little small trials, where will we be at the time when the horsemen show up? You know, when things get serious. Yes, sir. I'm going to give this one example being military, and I, I'm going to straight up say this verse is that, so people don't get confused, I don't Titus agree. chapter 1, sorry Sarah, yeah. I don't agree with women joining the military, so I'm not going to put it on that aspect, but what I'm going to give credit to, and this is how I know when you're preaching that the Bible is a military affair, basic training, when you go in there, mm-hmm. they, they don't smooth you into it, they don't 
pat you on the back. They don't, you know, you don't get encouragement until nine weeks later, until after it's all said and done. They hit you smack dead on the head from day one. Because you're getting yelled at from day one. What they want to mm -hmm. see is you got to be able to handle the pressure right now. And if you can't handle it now, you're not going to handle it down the road. Battle. You know? Exactly. So it's like they give you the, the tools for endurance. They teach you how, I mean, obviously it's changing and stuff like that's happening and everything, but it is an endurance. You have to learn how to endure. And if you can't endure two, three months of basic training, you're not going to be able to, to have the mindset when you're getting yelled at and stuff like that. If you're too weak then, forget it, man. You're, you're going to end up shooting yourself in the head with the gun. Yeah, sometimes that even used to happen to me when I would debate with people and things. See, I'm one person people hate to debate with because <laughs> I'm someone, I don't leave things alone. Like, they'll say something, I'll go and research it, and then everything seems to be good. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. No, because if you look at this, but I'm one of those people, I love to try and figure things out, you know, debating and stuff. But that's also something in the flesh that the Lord is pulling me away from. But I've always been that kind of person. Man, if you know this, then prove it. Let's get down to it and see who's right, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. That can be good because we're supposed to study, but it can also be negative because instead of just some things God wants you to receive, we'll find ourselves in the place of trying to, oh, this is a good competition. This is not a competition. What was said, you need to do. Right. You know what I mean? But I've always been that kind of person. No, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to wrestle. And some of you know that better than others, you know, that I'm like that. But I'm just saying, it's just one of those things. I've got to try and figure this out. But, man, we've just got to learn to yield to God and do That's what he right. says. So this is Titus 1. Let's look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So notice it talks about giving it to God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And it says, um, to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. So you see, when we've got to be a part of the truth, okay, and, and um, on to godliness. See, accepting the truth is godliness. I'm not talking about any facts or information. I'm talking about accepting what God says is truth. It brings about godliness. Why? Because you know that God is right. And if you know God is right and he's that real to you, you'll walk in it. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. So we understand that God promises us eternal life. That's the biggest, that's one of the biggest things of accepting the truth, which leads to godliness. Then it says in verse three, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto the unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And that's why the Bible tells us without a preacher, how can we hear? We cannot expect this world to be corrupt and complain about it if we're not willing to preach what is right. Because the devil is preaching what is wrong all day through the TV, through the music, through, you know, false education, you know, and all these things going on. Well, how can we expect God to manifest that which is right if we won't even preach it? Man, this is all part of responsibility. Verse 4, to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, 
So Titus is his own son, not physically or not biologically, but, you know, after the common faith. Well, Titus believes the same. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders, I mean, and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed thee. So Paul left Titus, okay, in Crete, okay, to preach the gospel and that he expected Titus to preach it the way that he preached it. So why didn't Paul tell Titus, well, you know, Titus, I already did it all. So basically, all you got to do is go and shower them with gifts. He gave Titus commandment. Titus, this is what's expected to do. You go to every city. You appoint elders. You make sure that these churches go in the order that we have preached. Okay? So it says in verse um, 6, If any be blameless, the husband of one wife. He's talking about these elders and these pastors. They've got to be the husband of one wife and blameless. Having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. So not accused of wild partying, you know, and having children that actually obey, that listen. Okay, because if you can't have kids, what's that? What? Oh, no, right? Some people will be like, if you got kids that are not obeying and doing, you know, what's what? It's like, well, how are you going to tell the church? Whatever. Okay, so it says in verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless. As the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, nor striker, not given to filthy lucre. So he cannot be greedy. He can't be self-willed. His will has got to go according to the will of God. And it says he's got to be a steward. He's got to look after people, you know, care for the people of God. And he said a bishop. So a husband of one wife, there shouldn't be any women pastors or elders there. Now, a woman can actually you know, govern younger women, you know, but even still, it's got to be in order to what's going on in the church, not to start your own movement, you know, but it's got to be in line with what the church is. So a woman cannot be a pastor. And there's a lot of doctrines around that where it don't make no difference. God poured his spirit out on all flesh. That's a lie. I mean, yes, he poured his spirit out on all flesh, but there is an order according to how God wants the church to be. Verse 8, but a lover of hospitality. You got to love to be hospitable. A lover of good men. So not, you know, <laughs> you know, promoting people that you know are no good, you know, and filthy and not conscious. He said lover of good men. Sober. That means he's not living in fantasy land. He can actually see what God says is true. He says he's just, meaning he judges situations righteously. Holy. He is like God. All right. I mean, not like he's God, but he believes in living his life according to the scriptures. Temperate, so he's not quick to fly off the handle. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Gainsayers are people that speak against the word of God. So if you find yourself as a teacher you know, by not yielding to sound doctrine, you give the gainsayers something to say. This is why when people want to fight to defend Christmas and other holidays like Easter, you've got to understand about gainsayers. Gainsayers, in many cases that I've run into that are witches, people in the occult world, people that are just atheists that have done their homework will tell you, man, these holidays are evil. 
This came from occultism. This ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. But you see, if doctrine is sound, you'll tell them you're absolutely right. That's why we don't do it. But you see, when we do things that are not right, that gives gainsayers the option to blaspheme God. Oh, well, you really believe in God? Then why are you doing blah, 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 blah? See, so that's why if doctrine is sound, you can't speak against the word of God because you're only going to teach according to what God says. But a gainsayer would say, if you're a Christian, they love to tell you that. If you're such a Christian, then why do you this, 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 and this? And you see, that gives the doctrine and a Christian a bad name when we're supposed to represent Christ. Verse 10, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So he's saying, you know, if you want to look for some smooth talkers and vain individuals, you don't have to look any further than the church. You can go right into church and find more people like that than you actually find. I found more people lie in church than outside of the church. By one, by using one term, you know what that one thing they say is? The Lord told me. Lying. God ain't tell you that. God ain't had nothing to do with that. But this is where a lot of people feel. The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. Like he came to you this morning. And you'll find 90 something percent of what they say don't even come true. And if God said it, it has to. That's something that we got to think about. So he says, man, those deceivers and those vain talkers, they're of the circumcision. He said, you see them there more than anywhere, 11, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, whole churches, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. So you see, a lot of people know that the gospel is bad for business. So I've got to create my own, stray away from sound doctrine, that some truth, I mean, that I can actually make some money. Hey, if this is my business, then I want everybody that comes into my business to be happy. But you see, if they're not happy, they won't come back. So therefore, I'll stray away from the gospel a little bit just to, you know, vain talk, just to deceive, just to get people to like me. Yeah, that's evil. Verse 12. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars <laughs> of evil beasts and slow bellies. So they love, they glory in their shame, their gods of their bellies. And he talks about them evil beasts. That means they don't enjoy the government of God. And he says they're always liars. Cretans are like Greeks. So they were kind of considered like what you would call, um, like, you know, what do you call them? Gentiles, mm -hmm. you know that they don't know anything about the faith. That's why he went, he sent Titus to go and set up government. But look at how much power these people walked in. That you could send Titus to the island of Crete alone, okay, with unbelievers. And, and Paul is expecting no less than for Titus to obey the spirit, obey the commandment of God, and to be faithful with sound doctrine. Man, what is God expecting from his people? Think about what's being said. He sent Timothy somewhere else, then sent Silas somewhere. And sometimes these guys were jailed, let out, <laughs> preaching the gospel and going wherever. But you see, Paul doesn't expect anything less than his disciples. And neither did Jesus expect anything less from them. So what is God calling for us to do? Are you trying to say that three people sitting in this room can actually go and turn Portland over on its head? That can actually obey God and do what God says? Man, this is sound doctrine. He's calling them to do the commandments of God. 
You mean to say only three people can do this? And Crete is bigger than Portland, so you would imagine that, you know, it will only take one of us here. You know, I want Christina and Washington and Sarah, I want you to go to Idaho. Okay, this is how it's going to be. But, man, look at what God is calling for his people and what he believes that we can do if we yield to his spirit, connect with him, and, and go according to what it said. All right, verse 13. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So this is why it's important at times to get right down to the point. Because there are times I try to sit down with people for coffee. I see somebody sitting there, and I'm, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How was your weekend? Oh, my weekend was good. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, so that's good. So how's the family? Family's good. Oh, all right. That's cool. And then you say, I'm going to preach the gospel. And the person says, oh, my lunch is over. See you later. And you, uh, 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 you know what? Because, you see, you could have been there to preach Christ. But this is what I'm saying about wasting time. All right, so let me continue. So verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth unto the pure, unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. So you got to understand an unbeliever has a defiled conscience. If you don't believe one part of this word, you've got a defiled conscience. Now, I know that things may take time and faith to do, but it's different to learn about the faith than to not believe. When you don't believe in the faith, he's saying you're defiled here, okay? And then to those who are pure, he says all things are pure. How can we be pure of heart if there's desires of ours that are outside of God's heart? You see, all it takes is 1% of something defiled to go into pure water, and that water is no longer pure. If I take 1% of soda and pour it into clean, fresh water, that is not pure water anymore. Okay, so what we got to understand is we've got to follow soundly. What is pure is of God, and that which is not pure is not of God. I might like God's word, might have a heart towards his word, but my heart is still not pure if I don't believe. That's what this is about. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like Sarah, like Ken Hovind mentioned once, and Sarah's mentioning now, there's very little poison in rat poison. 1%. Yeah, 99% of it is food, good food that the rat will eat. That's what draws him in. But that little 1% is what's going to kill him. That's what happens when we allow things in that are not of and God. I think it's actually a slow process because they want uh, the rat to take it actually back to the nest. So it, it kills them over a process of time. It doesn't do it right away. And that's what can happen when we have, you know, doctrine that is not sound. Mm -hmm. We go and we pollute others with it and we, we destroy. We can destroy the body because no one caught that little 1%. But guess what? The Holy Ghost does. Yeah. That's why when things are not right, the Holy Ghost, that ain't right. And you need to correct that before you tell anybody anything concerning this. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things I preached, you know, and I said the wrong thing and I listened to the videos later and I'm like, I got to correct that. One of them we went over today, you know, um, it was when we first started out. Do you remember the one where it talked about um, honor your parents? Now, I once taught that what was being said there was you can honor your parents as long as it doesn't go, as long as it's not against God or whatever, then you can tell them blah, blah, blah. 
Well, the Lord has brought me understanding since then. Today, you don't have a right to disrespect your parents or dishonor them. But, you know, you make the doctrine of Christ of none effect by doing so. So just because you might be sound in some other areas don't mean because your mom is an unbeliever, you get to curse her or mistreat her or to do whatever because that just that just totally leavens the lump. Okay, you're not even following my first commandment, which is one, to love me and then obey your parents, the first commandment with promise. So if you're not going to do that, you know, that that's something that you might as well, you're corrupt then because you're, you're having justification for disobeying them and, and, you know, disrespecting them. But then you're going to come over here and be righteous. As far as God is concerned, you made the doctrine of Christ of none effect because you didn't obey what was said before. So you see, God wants us to be pure and all things in us pure, which will take time with sanctification, with understanding. I've repented of that. The Lord has forgiven me. And now I'm teaching it right. Okay, but this is all a part of being in good standing with God. You can't just go according to, well, that was then. I don't want to be embarrassed. So now I'm just going to teach it right. And I'm not going to tell people. No, confess your faults one to another. When you have said things wrong, it is important that the congregation knows or people know. Why? Because they might have even caught what you said, and now they can call you a hypocrite for something that you said before. Well, that ain't what you said before. And they'll even say, I got it in my notes, what you said. But you see, God can bring us to correction. So I don't mind having a fault within me. Why? Because I want sound doctrine. I want to be shown what is right so I can preach what is right. Because a lot of pastors won't do this. They'll tell you one thing one minute and then tell you the truth later on. Okay, but they won't even admit that they once taught it in error. And verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. So as you can see, you can become reprobate by professing to know God. That's why it's dangerous for a Christian to fall away or start doing things not of God because in many cases you ignore the Holy Ghost and then you still feel like you're in good standing with God, but you're not. You see what I'm saying? You can fall in love with the fantasy of being of God because you still do godly things, but you're not hearing the correction to be made right in Christ. And what will happen? And unto every good work you become reprobate. You sitting there, Paul says, I can preach the gospel and become a castaway. All right, let me make some quick points because, uh, um, uh, let's see, we've got Titus because uh, I don't have a whole lot of time to go over everything. Uh, let's go to 2 Timothy 3 real quick. No, Titus 2. Sorry, Titus 2. Titus 2, and let's look at verse 1. We might as well just continue. This is Titus 2 and 1. It says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men, the older, the elders, be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Uh, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becoming holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. So we got to understand here with God that you see elders should be a certain way because for a lot of those women that don't want to give up that office and a lot of elders that are doing the things that they're doing 
All you're doing is showing the next generation that it's okay. It's okay to stray away from sound doctrine if you've got just cause. There is no just cause for straying away from that which is sound of God. Verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, not lead rebellions against the church, as in this is a woman's movement. Verse 5, to be discreet, chaste. You know what chaste means? Chaste means to remain pure. You know, to be a goodly woman, a righteous woman before God. You know, like a chaste virgin. You know, God is always on your case. Why? He wants you to be a virgin. Right. So he says to be chaste, uh, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So you see, the family unit is supposed to be a reflection of God. It should be godly. Look, just like Father, Son, Holy Ghost, that's how we should flow with God in order. But what's interesting here is he says women should be keepers at home. You know, a lot of women will be offended by that today. But you know what I'm finding? That's become a lost art. A lot of women will keep a nasty place, don't want to fix it up. You know how many women I met don't know how to cook? A lot. You know how many women I know that will just buy their kids fast food every night because they don't want to do these things? Mm -hmm. And what are you showing your daughter? That when I'm tired, I don't have to cook. We can just eat everything and that's good enough. And I'm not speaking to women who can't cook, but I'm just saying one of the reasons why you may not be able to is because of this very thing right here. Yeah. Overlooking it. Talking about, man, cooking in the kitchen, that could be a man's job or whatever. Yes, men can cook too, but this is all a part of the sound doctrine. Why? It teaches women to be women of God and also wives to their husbands and mothers to their children. Yeah. You see how the family unit is so important in the kingdom of God? Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity, sound speech. They cannot be condemned that, that, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So that's interesting, too, because Christians have been given the title as holier than thou. You think that you're better than me and this and that. You know what? If that's how you feel, that's on you. I'm just living according to what God says. See, it's your conscience and your own shame is why you think we think we're too good. Oh, look at old goody two-shoes over there. She don't want to sit with us at lunch. She's overdoing whatever, whatever. You know, and then here's the reason. Because you're nasty, you're sinful, you enjoy doing this and that. That's not of God. That's your conscience. People will look right at you. I know I should stop smoking. I ain't say nothing about you smoking. That's your conscience. So people of God should not just outwardly speak about what is an example to Christ. Our lives should reflect it. Mm -hmm. All right. So they won't say have any evil thing to say about you. Verse 9. There is no better feeling. I'm sorry. I got to say this. There is no better feeling than when slander and hearsay is in the midst that someone will say, you said something, and you said, I didn't say anything. I don't have nothing to do with that. And then people will find out, yeah, he didn't have anything to do with it. But if you did, you notice how people start reflecting, who told you that? Whoa, I don't know. Where'd you hear this? And you know you had something to do with it. But you see, that eliminates all that when they say, well, Derek said, Derek didn't say nothing. 
because I don't care what you guys are doing or what's going on with that. But it's good to have a pure conscience that you can't be blamed. I don't know who was at that party, but I wasn't. I didn't have anything to do with that. Anyway, let me continue. So it says, verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, uh, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God of, of our Savior in all things. So like I said, living a life that is after the Lord, not living in the ways that we want to live, desiring what God tells us to do. Let's look up that word purloining real quick. Check this out. That's Titus 2, and I believe I'm in verse 9. 10, sorry. Titus 2 in verse 10. And look at what the word purloining means. It says to set apart, separate, divide, to set apart or separate for one's self, to purloin, embezzle, withdraw covertly and um, appropriate to one's own use. So he doesn't want us in the mix with filth and nastiness and, and you know, what do you call it? In unbelief, we should be separated unto God, not mixing with the, um, with uh, what do you call it? The age or the times or the way that people do them. Verse 10 for the great 11, sorry, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly, unworldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. So you see, we're supposed to be separated from worldly lust so we can actually live righteously. Verse 13, looking that that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. You see that? It's the iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So we should be happy to do good works. We should desire to do those things. They should be on our minds all the time. A peculiar people is a different people, just a different breed. I mean, there's something about those Christians, the way that they do things, the way that they are. A peculiar people, a different people. Verse 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So you see, we ought to speak about the things that are righteous in God's eyes. We're almost done. But you see, sound doctrine is so, so important. Amen. You can't stray away from it. Let's go to Revelation 2. Revelation 2, and I think, yeah, we're going to do Revelation 2. We're going to do Romans 16 and Acts 2. Those are short verses, and we'll be done. So Revelation chapter 2. I mean, and it's really important that this is being brought up because it's like, like I was saying earlier, um, if we have that sound doctrine, then we're not going to get taken away because everyone today wants to, they want to gather in a church building. You think that the only way that you can really hear Jesus Christ is if you go to a building somewhere, and we know that that's not true. It's like, 
How do we know that that church is even of God, especially considering where we live, you know, out here? And so it's like if people get so wrapped up in the fact that you've got to be in a actual, like, building, building itself, it's like the Spirit of the Lord may not even be there. I mean, I know the Spirit's on some churches, but it's not all of them. Mm -hmm. So if you get so wrapped up in thinking, well, i got to go to an actual building, then... That's that's kind of in a lot of ways that's brainwashing because you know that's that's not always the truth. I mean, look where we're gathering, mm-hmm. you know. And so the Bible says, "Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst." So it's like you know, I got saved in my apartment. I wasn't in the church building, you know. So it's like the, our minds have got to be set free from the indoctrination. That's the word I was looking for. We've got to be set free mm-hmm. from the indoctrination that. Um, Going to a church simply because it's got a cross on it or simply because it says church of whatever on it, oh, the Spirit will be there. Maybe it will, but then again, maybe it won't. Right, and when the congregation had been replaced with the building, that's where the problem comes. When he says the church of Ephesus, the church of this, the church of that, that's the congregation of Ephesus, where people meet, what people do. Mm -hmm. But people are, are, are looking at church as it's the building. It's the congregation. It's a body of believers. That's the church. So when he says church of Galatia, that just simply means saints that come together in Galatia. That's it. You know, I mean, we're the church wherever we go is lively stones. We're not just, you know, the church is this particular building because Sarah is right. It can write church on it and God can write Ichabod on it, meaning the glory of the Lord is departed. I'm not, I got nothing to do with this trash. There's a church of Satan. So what are you saying? You know? So anyway, this is Revelation 2, look at verse 1, and it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, that's Jesus, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And has borne and has patience, and oh, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. So, like I said, like we talked about uh, two weeks ago, Ephesus was a busy and productive church. They actually believed in spotting all the fakes. But one thing we've got to understand, and I've heard it said before, pointing out what's wrong doesn't make you always right. There are times that you can be a wrong person printing out right information. That's why he says the pure has to be pure through and through. So Ephesus is doing good. They're spotting the fakes. They're spotting the false apostles. They're working hard. I mean, they're going after everything. And then he says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else... I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of thy place, except ye repent. So he made it very clear to them that, you know, unless you are tied to me, first and foremost, what is the first and great commandment of the law? To love thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy might, and thy strength. Exactly. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes we can love our neighbor and do all the works that we do for neighbors, like, you know, pie and cake sales, but we don't even pray. We don't even spend time with God. 
We don't even love God. We want to be loved by others. So you've got to have your first love first and foremost. God would rather you spend time with him and love him, uh, you know, um, than for you to go out and do all these things, not even being connected to the tree. Let yeah. me correct myself because the Lord corrected me on that. To love the Lord, not thy God. To love the Lord with all thy heart. Lord thy God. The Lord says thy both. God. Yeah, you were right. No, absolutely. You know, he is our Lord. That is for sure. All right, so he says he's going to move that candlestick quickly. I don't care what you're doing up in here. If I'm not pushed above all, I will take it away. All right, verse 6. But this thou have, that thou hatest the deed of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Um, he that have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So God is very serious about this. You can't do enough religious works to get close to God. Mm -hmm. You've got to draw close to God and let God bring forth the fruit on you. Okay? So the whole point is he spoke of the deed of the Nicolaitans. The deed of the Nicolaitans, as we talked about before, is uh, pretty much the what you see everywhere, you know, in terms of, the word Nico meaning conqueror, you know, or, or um, what is it? Conqueror and, and Latians means, you know, get the word laity meaning the common folk. So it means conqueror over the common folk. What you find here today in many cases, you've got the pastor sitting up there. You've got the elders. You've got the bishops and all those guys. And then you've got the laity, the ignorant masses out there that doesn't know anything. All teachers are, all pastors, all apostles, prophets, and evangelists are. They're just simply your brother and sister in the Lord that God is using to do whatever. But people are giving way too much respect. This is a man of God. This is a man of the cloth. So we ought to approach him with respect. You ought to approach a homeless man in the street with the same respect. There's no difference. You know, anybody that you address with respect deserves that respect. Why? Because that's what God commands of his people. But when we start looking at this pastor in his office, I've got to take off my shoes and walk in and be respectful before him. And But then you can disrespect someone in the street. What difference is that to God? Jesus said, if you love them that love you, what reward is there in that? Okay, so God calls for us to have that within us regardless. So the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is really the doctrine of Nimrod, is about leaning on the people. If you truly want to be a, a leader in God's church, you've got to become a servant. You've got to help people. You've got to look for people, be there for them, pray for them. Okay, because all an office in the church is, is a servant. That's all you are. You serve the people. Like if this is a restaurant, you just walk around as a waiter. Would you like any hors d'oeuvres, ma'am? Would you? And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just being upfront that you've got to serve. You know, you've got to be, man, how's things going with you? Hey, can I help you with anything? Do you need money? Is something going on? You know, is there anything going on where I can talk to your husband about him, what he's doing to you or your wife? You know, this is all about being a servant, being available. There are times I don't feel like preaching this word. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm just saying there's days you're tired and, you know, you know, your mind and your, your spirit's got to be engaged with God. And there's days you don't feel up to it. There's days when you do feel up to it, people speak against you and argue with you. And you're just like, you know, but you know what? It's not about you and me. 
It's about doing what God says. So you ought to be under the people to help lift people up, not stand over them and lean on them like you've got a special position. That's garbage. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. All right. So he says uh, in verse eight, and unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. That's Jesus. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that he may be tried, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So we must remain faithful unto death, and God can give us a crown of life. But he made clear the reason persecution's coming upon you is because you need to be tried. He that have an ears he that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And unto the angel of the church of Pergamus write, These things saith he, which have a sharp sword and two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful servant, a faithful martyr, who was slain among you, uh, where Satan dwelleth. So Pergamos was actually a church that was about a thousand feet high. And on top of that, that hill was actually the altar of Zeus, okay, which was Satan's seat. Okay, so Satan literally had a seat. Whatever entity or fallen angel used to go and sit there, he was very serious about this church that, it, you know, it became one, but this is what it was like. But I have a few things against thee because thou cast there them and hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So as you can see, the doctrine of Balaam, if you guys read, what is that, number 16, I believe, or is it number 16? It's actually, uh, I want to get back to people on that. I don't want to tell Verse them the 31. wrong thing. Numbers 31? Yeah. Okay, so that was the doctrine of Balaam where he was talking about, you know, teaching Balak how to cast a stumbling block before Israel. So it's important that we understand if we're not for Jesus, we're against him. The doctrine of Balaam is in support of how we may take advantage of other people, how we may think that we're defending Christ, but we're really defending self. If you stand against God, you stand against the people of God. You know, or you stand against the people of God, you stand against God. So Balaam, you know, tried to get the Moabite women, you know, into town to um, overthrow the children of Israel. And he says to eat things sacrificed unto idols. The Lord's been warning me about Chinese food, you know, and stuff like that. I'm not trying to be funny, but... A lot of their food is sacrificed unto idols. That's why you'll see a plate in front of the Buddha and all things like that. You got to be real careful what you eat, you know? That's why, because, you know, if it was sacrificed to Buddha, it's no good to you. Mm -hmm. And to commit fornication. Look at verse 15. Can't you pray over it as a Christian? You can pray to sanctify it, but let's just say if God brings things to your attention that this is, this was sacrificed unto an idol, then, you know, the Lord may tell you to leave it alone.
Because anything that was offered to the devil can't be offered to God. You see what I'm saying? So you got to be careful. Now, do I have evidence that where I may eat Chinese food is doing it? Probably not. But if I see it and I know what that is, then that makes me accountable whether I'm for it or against it. So that's what we got to understand because you can pray to sanctify what God gives you. But if it was offered to Satan, what right have it to you? That would make the argument for Christmas okay. You know, to partake in things like that. So if the foundations be destroyed, then the Bible says, what can the righteous do? Now, if you know that there's a place that's doing it, that's different. If you walk in and you just see, hey, I like some pork fried rice, whatever I want to go with, then you go. But if you look and you find a Buddha with a, with a plate sitting up under there, then chances are your food has been sacrificed unto him too. So, you know, it's all about obeying the spirit and seeing what God tells you to do. But you see, they're not the first to do that. There are Indian restaurants that do this. There are African restaurants that do this. You've got to be real careful where you are and what you eat because the spirit may tell you, don't go in there. Put that back. Do not eat this food. Because think about it, that which we take in. Well, Jesus said, there's nothing from without a man that can defile the man. But he's also speaking spiritually. But he just is the same Jesus here talking about food sacrificed to idols. There's a big difference. He was talking about the dietary laws, not food given over to the devil that we are supposed to eat. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's why um, Pastor Price talks a lot about abstract thinking. You got to have an abstract mind with God. Like Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. But Jesus also said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. So is he contradicting himself or is he speaking in terms of what we're dealing with at that time? Yep. Okay, so it's all about what it means exactly. He said he came, he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. That means he came to preach the gospel and there's going to be war. But he is the Prince of Peace. Superman is considered, uh, you know, a good guy. But he has to rough up some bad guys in order for there to be good in Metropolis. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to make a point here. Right. That, you know, it doesn't make Jesus any less the Prince of Peace if he's got to bring war. Why? Because the adversary has taken over this kingdom. So God has got to come and wage war against the enemy to bring forth righteousness. So, you know, it depends on in what context you're dealing with. If you're just eating food, I mean... We may have to eat some food one day where the Lord will tell you, it's okay. Because, you know, you need to eat and sustain right now. Or he'll tell you, leave that alone. I've got some place else for you to eat. But this is all about obeying the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. So that's what these people were doing. So verse 15, he says, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So these people were kind of like what you see in Catholicism, Jehovah Witnesses. They've got these big you know, groups of elders and other things that go on. And then you got the whole little ignorant masses out there that don't know anything. God hates that. Yeah. He hates that with a passion because there's no such thing as a laity in God's kingdom. That's your brother or sister in the Lord. Bottom line, okay? Everybody's on the same playing field. Some may have been given responsibilities to serve because of where they are in their walk with the Lord, but there's nobody in here above another. Jesus said, when you go to pick a chair, in, the, in a place of a banquet, pick the lowest chair in the room. Don't look for the most important. Well, I need the VIP. There's no VIP in the kingdom of God because the only very important person there is is Jesus Christ. Amen. And everything that conforms to that will be important. All right. 
So he says, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that have an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. If you know churches that are run like this, you're going to have more to worry about than being the laity. The Lord says, repent, remove those things or God will fight against it. You don't want to be sitting in a congregation of a church that is like this and God is going to move against it with the sword of his mouth. That which we line ourselves to, we become a part of. You're not innocent when you pledge allegiance to something. That's something we got to understand. All right, so let's look at Romans 16 and get Acts 2. And we're done from there. These are going to be quick. We got my clothes down there, too. Probably gonna be wrinkled as leaves. I'm gonna have to run over them again. Anyway, Romans 16, let's look at verse 17, and it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to sound doctrine, which ye have learned and avoid them. So if you know that a place where you're teaching is teaching sound doctrine, the Bible says mark them. That means like pretty much after you've come to them with the truth and they still do what they want to do, hey man, mark them. You're causing division with what you're bringing because this is not in the Bible that I'm reading. Mm -hmm. So he says, mark them, man, and separate from them, you know, offenses that are contrary to, I mean, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So don't make excuses for people. If they keep on with things that you know that are not of Christ, the Bible says, hey, for your salvation or for you to be in good standing with God, you need to separate. Come out from amongst them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. You know, but a lot of people will stay in churches. A lot of Jehovah Witnesses know what they're learning is wrong. But they stay anyway because they don't want to be ostracized. Man, you got to look past that. And that's why you got to love God first. You love anything more than God, you're an idolater. If you love anything equal to God, you're an idolater. Okay, so we got to understand that. All right, so it says in verse 18, For they that are such... Serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. So we've got to understand what he means about that, that these people are all about self. You remember, they will turn from their own lust unto fables because they don't want the sound doctrine that God wants us to have. Mm -hmm. And see me, I don't know, some pastors I may listen to, on YouTube and other places, when I find out they're teaching things that are wrong, thank you very much for the message. I got a lot of good information, but I'm not going to be associating with you. Yeah. Verse 19, for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would that you, that you wise, I would have you, sorry, wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So you see, God wants us to know these things so that we'll be okay. But if we overlook what God's discernment is and go our own way or go according to how we feel, then we're subject to whatever it is we align ourselves with. Acts chapter 2, and I'm done. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 36. Right. You only can 
talk about sound doctrine long enough and make enough examples to her like, we get it, man. Acts chapter 2, let's look at verse 36, and it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So we've got to understand as believing Christians that everything that God says concerning his word, okay, God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. Whatever Jesus says to do, do, okay? It's not just about him being the Messiah. It's about him being Lord over your life. And the way that he becomes Lord is to obey his word and his spirit and spend time with him, okay? Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? See, people have got to be brought to this point sometimes to be able to ask these things or to say, what, what do I need to be saved? But we rather tell people God loves you first and leave out all the details. A person's got to know you're being damned, man. You, you know, you're going to hell. And you may not, each day is not promised to a person, and I love you enough to have you receive the truth. Now, they may curse you out and walk away, but they may also have sleepless nights. They may be sitting there thinking, man, I might need to change my life. Don't be offended by the reactions you get from people. This is the gospel. You know that this person may say, man, I, what am I going to do? You should be in a hopeless situation like that so that you can, uh, you can, want Jesus above everything else. Because as long as you got plan B, you'll never serve Jesus. As long as you got your own way and your own, you know, well, I don't have to worry that much. I can do blah, blah, blah. People have got to be brought to the place. You're on a sinking ship and it's sinking fast. And God is calling all men to repentance. Yep. The only reason why these people have repented, they were pricked in their hearts. And one thing they learned was, man, it was all about Jesus. You mean to say, we killed him. We were the very people that were cheering the Son of God and killed him. Man, so what, what should we do now to be saved? They had to be brought to the place of what you did was wrong. And this needs to be corrected. And nobody wants to call anybody wrong today. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So it's that simple. Repent, be pure of heart, and be saved. And God will give you the Holy Ghost. But you got to want this. It's better to say that than I don't believe in it, man. Believe God. He says repent and be baptized, meaning turn away from it, okay? And, and, and make the promise to the Lord against that which is not of God, and you will receive the Holy Ghost. It's that simple. Verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So you see how Jesus always called the generation perverse? To save yourself is to be separate from. But some people will hang with sinners, do what sinners do, and then when asked about it, well, didn't Jesus hang out with the sinners? Yeah, to teach them the gospel, not to go and do what you're doing. You know, you're out gambling, doing everything else with them and talking about I'm not self-righteous. Yeah, you're a sinner. You know, it's the bottom line. All right, anyway, let me make the point. So he says, 
verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were, were there added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So they continued in the doctrine. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one, on, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So is it in the temple only, or is it going house to house? And you see, they are they are fulfilling the commandment to love God first and foremost and to love your neighbor. This is all happening, and this is the Apostles' Doctrine. What Jesus said all along, love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The reason why house to house is being brought up here and the temple, there's nothing wrong with the temple. It's just that the church is not confounded to it. The church is going to go wherever God says to go. It can, we can be here in the congregation. This is what people do on Sunday. Go to church, shake hands with all the brethren in the room, and then for the rest of the day, they go and live like the world. But you see, what these guys were doing was worshiping in the temple. But after that, they were, man, going house to house. Hey, man, Jesus Christ is, is the way, the truth, the life. Hey, do you need anything? Man, come on and worship with us and fellowship with us. Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's go sit in the park. Let's go break bread. Let's go and uplift the name of Jesus. The church is everywhere. The church is not confounded to one space. So he says, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So gladness would be what? You know, having that joy that God tells us to have. When singleness of heart is, this is all about Christ, man. You know, loving our brother. They all had common ground. They're, all their hearts were focused in the same place. That is the only church that exists. That's why God says there's one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Christ and God the Father who is God over all. Amen. That's it. One faith, one spirit, one, one baptism. But people are dividing it to all these different ones. They got nothing to do with God. All about God and his family. 47, praising God and having favor with all men. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. So, you know, I brought this up tonight because I feel like the Lord wanted to cover what is sound in his eyes. And to be honest with you, we haven't even scratched the surface of all the false doctrine that's out there. But one thing we do know, and like Jesus knew, love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. If we learn to love as God tells us to, we will pay attention to sound doctrine. We will not hold back the truth from people, no matter what it costs us. And we will not be looking unto our own goodwill, but we'll be looking after your brother. I don't care if you stayed up late tonight on the phone trying to talk somebody out of suicide. I don't care if you didn't get your homework done and God called you to go out and talk to people. This is about loving your neighbor and loving your God. And I don't care if you're late for work and God called you to go to the park to minister to somebody, then hey, make time for God. But you see, if I can say, 
I know the Lord just told me to talk to this person, but I'm running off to work and hope they be there later. You don't love that person and you don't love God because if God tells you to do it, you obey him. But then this person needs to be saved. So he's got to get us to the point when we become perfected in that love. Man, not only sound doctrine will be the least of our concerns, the world won't be big enough for us because we'll be going everywhere doing what God says. None of this will mean anything to us. And that's why Jesus said to be a disciple, you've got to hate your own life to walk with me because your life and your own will, your self-will will stray you away from me. So I just want to tell people with that, I love you. Sound doctrine is a must and there's no way around this. Why? Because with it, God's kingdom and his church is running proper order and divinity. So uh, Sarah's going to present something and we'll be done. All right, let's go to Isaiah 29 and verse 13. Isaiah 29, starting in verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. So what's saying here is, is that um, it's interesting how it's like you said earlier, you're going to bring forth that one study about um, iniquity, transgression, sin, transgression, and iniquity. This is because it's, this is something that the Lord has really just been talking to me about lately is that do, how much do we love the Lord? Do we just honor Him by what we say or do we, you know, is our heart really with the Lord or is it off somewhere else doing mm -hmm. something else and it's easy to get caught up in saying oh I love the Lord and, and everything like that but if our heart is really sincere and pure and true towards the Lord um, and like I said he's been talking to me about this then we're not going to just say it in here we're not going to just say it uh, amongst people that do believe we're going to say it amongst people that don't believe because that's where the fight that's where the battle's really at. Mm -hmm. The battle's not in here. The battle's out there on the streets. The battle's at our job. The battle's amongst those people we think, man, this person would never in a thousand years get saved. The Lord looked at us one time. I never thought in a thousand years you'd get saved. So it's like, we can't be those kind of uh, hypocritical people to say, now I'm saved and the Lord's changed my life. You go get your own. Mm -hmm. We got to look inwardly to say, man, you were a drunk, fornicating, smoking foul-mouthed sinner not more than five years ago so it's like we got to take what we know we can't just say oh i love the lord and not do anything with that That's right. Amen. verse 15 woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the lord with their works um and their works are in dark and they say who seeth us and who knoweth us? Surely your turning of the things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work of him say, uh, the work of him that made it, 
the work say of him that made it, He made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, He hath no understanding? Now this work right here, this verse right here actually speaks volumes because you know what? This is actually what we're dealing with today. Look at the homosexual community saying God made a mistake. You know, I should have been a man or I should have been a woman. But also today, I mean, you've even got people trying to preach the word that don't even exactly believe all of the word. They want to try and change it. They really want to They want to go back to the beginning and say, well, they want to add the gap theory. And I know I'll harp on that, but you got to understand, this is where we get away from sound doctrine, is when we try and change the scriptures to meet our needs. To accommodate us. Yeah. Exactly. To their own lust. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's like, you know, when... I've got tattoos, but that's before I came to know Jesus Christ. But when you got people out there today in front of atheists, the people that don't believe in God, trying to get tattoos and putting God's name on it, you're getting away from sound doctrine because that is of doctrines of devils right there. Because those things, like you brought up, Derek, a while back, that tattoos are prayed, demonically charged, prayed over. So how is you as being a believer in Jesus, yeah, Jesus Christ going to go do something like that? Verse 17, Is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall um, see out of the obscurity and out of darkness. The meek shall also increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Israel excuse me. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just thing uh, of naught. Therefore thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not, no, shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hand in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also that erred in spirit shall come to understanding and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. So the point of this is this, is that if we are under sound doctrine, we're going to preach the truth. We're going to preach the word of God. And we're actually going to see people that we never thought come to know the Lord will come to know the Lord. But the thing is, is also this, is that if we only believe Him with our speech and we don't believe Him in our heart, we're going to see the exact opposite happen. So that's why it's like we got to know Him inwardly. You know, I had actually, I believe this and I actually had someone tell me this too, is like if we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how can He use us? How can we actually tell people what we don't actually know of? It's not just knowing the Word and in mind but it's knowing it in our heart and in the truth Amen. that we have that relationship with him because you know it's like us knowing each other i know you and i know you we should know jesus christ even more than that that he's the truest realist so that way we can actually tell people Amen. Well, that's absolutely true man we just can't bend the scriptures the way that we want them to We've got to be in accordance with god's word his spirit and everything that he meant you know, because that's one of the unfortunate things that you're seeing today. It's just water, isn't it? Yeah, it's still. It's hot water. 
You said it's not water. Just say, oh, all right. It's all good. Anybody praying out to them? Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Lord God, first of all, I want to thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord Jesus, I also want to just thank you for another opportunity that you've given us that where we can come together, Lord, as a body of believers and just... Hear the truth, Lord Jesus Christ, and get our lives right with you and to understand the times that we are living in, Lord Jesus Christ. And also, I just want to thank you for your grace, your love, your mercy, your patience, your long-suffering, your wisdom, Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord God, for not treating us as our sins deserve, for being a faithful father, Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm praying, Lord God, that with this message today, if anything that was said today, Lord God, that pricked us in our spirit, that we will just get into a greater relationship with you, Lord, that you can still continuously clean us out, that you will shine the light of your gospel in the dark areas of our life, Lord God, that we just give ourselves completely and fully over to you to be sanctified. Yes, Lord. That we have a true understanding of what taking this gospel in the world is all about. Yes, Lord, we can preach it in the street corners, in the supermarket, the gas station, but are we doing it in our jobs, Lord? Are we doing it in the places where we maybe have gotten comfortable and while we are there, Lord Jesus, because salvation is for all men. You've called all men unto repentance, Lord Jesus Christ. And that's one thing that we have to truly understand is that if we say that we have a relationship with you, Lord God, are we doing what your word says? Yes, Lord. Do we have that inward man, Lord God, that you're walking inside of us and, and just being fully connected with you? Because that is what this is all about. Yes, it is growing in grace, Lord, and you are taking layers of the old man off of us on a daily basis. But, Lord, we've got to take up this cross every day and follow after you. We've got yes, to crucify Lord. the flesh every single day, Lord Jesus Christ, yes, Lord. that we will be sanctified because we've got to know, Lord, we are living in the last days. The destruction of this economy, we are on the precipice of that, Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to have it in our minds that we are here today and could be gone tomorrow. Yes, Lord. So we're doing everything in this day to follow after you. Have we obeyed your commandments this day, Lord Jesus Christ, that we could stand before you and you say to us, enter the, into the kingdom of heaven, my good and faithful servant. That is what should be on our minds, Lord Jesus Christ that you are still correcting us, that you still want us to be one of your children, Lord Jesus, and that we are following after the path of righteousness, not ungodliness, not after our own selfish lust, Lord Jesus Christ, is everything that we are doing in obedience that we have that right relationship with you, that we are continuously building our relationship with you for the kingdom of heaven. Because that is what it's about. It's about the salvation of others, Lord Jesus Christ, not storing up our barns. So I pray, Lord God, anything that is in us that's not right, that's not of you, that's not in obedience, Lord Jesus, take it from us, that we will be able to go out into the highways and into the byways, Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be sanctified to get into more prayer and fasting, Lord, that we can heal the sick in the name of Jesus, raise the dead, open the blind eyes and the deaf ears. That is the goal. Lord Jesus Christ, before, it is, before this world expires, before our own life expires. So I just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you for this 
message that you brought forth today with the power of your Holy Ghost, that it will get out there, Lord Jesus Christ, and that people's lives will be changed. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, for all and everything that you've done. I pray, Lord, that whatever we do, you get all the praise, the glory, and honor that you deserve. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.